0: Aloha and welcome to the Woman on Fire podcast. I am Daniela and I'm here with Jamie. And we have a very extra special repeat guest with us today, Alexandra Kasitu. Um, and she will be able to say her name better than I d- just did. So sorry about that. <laughs> um, but we're really stoked to have you back. Uh, we have one podcast episode together already. And I'll put that in the comments section or the um, just description of this episode so that you can go back and listen to it. That's when she came on and talked about her home birth dissertation. And that was um, over a year ago at this point. And now we have her back on because she just released a book. And we're so amazed and proud of you. Um, so that's why we have her here. I'll read a bit about her and then invite her to share a bit more. So Alexandra Kasitu is a home birth mother of two wonderful children, a wife, a writer, and an intuitive. And she holds a PhD from the University of Hawaii. She became enamored with pregnancy and birth after the birth of her daughter, Isabella, and decided to uncover why women are not taught about the magic of home birth. After having her son at home in Hawaii, she interviewed mothers around the islands to find out why they also had home births. She uncovered a world of complexity, culture, struggle, spirituality, and reclamation, all of which led back to the womb. And the book that we're here to celebrate together today is titled Back to the Womb, Reclaiming Birth Sovereignty. So welcome, Alex, and congratulations. Thanks for being here today.
1: Thank you both for having me. I'm so excited to talk more with you and just, as always, just connect generally with you two wonderful midwives and birth workers. So thanks for having me.
2: hmm I'm so so excited. I remember the beginnings of this story that you are sharing with the world. And it is like another birth. You know, it's really it took a lot of hard work and determination and overcoming. And I'm just so, so very excited that you get to share these stories with the world. I mean, are these stories are medicine for people. And um, so, yeah, we're gonna just kind of open the floor. I wanna let you talk a little bit and um, share with us, yeah, maybe like how you got there and what what you have to offer. Um, and, and then maybe you can also even tap into your little intuition, uh, intuitive mindset too, and share a little bit about that. Cause I know that also got very developed as you were crafting this book. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Daniela. Um, yeah. So it, I guess it all kind of, kind of began way long before the book was ever conceived in my mind as something that could ever be published or actually in my hands. But, um, you know, after I had my daughter, and I think I shared this a little bit on the previous episode we recorded together. But after I had my daughter, um, actually during my pregnancy with my daughter. I went through a really interesting situation with the midwives and I talk about this in the book, but these were hospital birth midwives and they ended up you know, yelling at me for questioning the glucose test at the time. <laughs> and so that kind of just like thrusted me into like, okay, well, if they're treating me this way for asking a question about what's in the glucose test, um, I don't know how they're gonna treat me during birth. And so I would I think it was about six months pregnant with my daughter and I decided I was not gonna give birth in a hospital or with the hospital midwives. So I decided to go to a freestanding birth center and I had her there and had a really transformative experience and um, just kind of was left feeling like as birth does, like it makes you feel really raw, not just like your body, but your entire spirit and your entire view on the world just shifts dramatically. And it was at that point where I felt, I felt a little bit robbed that young women like myself at the time I was in my mid, early mid-20s felt like, you know, we're kind of robbed from all this beautiful, sacred information about our bodies and our capacity to birth. So I kind of made it my mission, like, okay, well, I have to tell everybody about this. and I have to figure out a way to do something about this. And I, of course, wasn't alone in that mission and um, got to meet wonderful birth workers and home birth mamas along the way. So then when I moved to Hawaii for my PhD, it really was no question of what the topic of my PhD was, but um, but more so, how am I going to make this fit into an academic realm because birth to me is such a spiritual realm and to make this fit into an academic um, community was a bit of a challenge and I struggled with that quite a bit but um, but I finished and I got my PhD and my first semester actually of that program I had my son or I got pregnant with my son and then I had my son with with Jamie and he was a big fat cute little baby <laughs> and now he's a wonderful seven-year-old and um and so yeah I finished that program and finished my dissertation and after that I kind of wanted to burn my entire dissertation and never look at it again but I still had the burning desire to tell women uh about the magic and spirituality and transformative powers of birth and share the stories of women who've had such you know transformative experiences, um, especially birthing at home. So I decided, you know what, I'm gonna look for a publisher. So I reached out to a bunch of friends and one of them connected me to uh an author who's done pretty well for himself and he connected me to uh actually it was a local publishing company in Minneapolis. And and yeah, kind of the rest is history. We worked on the book for a couple of years and now it's it's in my hands right here. So <laughs> now it's here, and um, I guess the intuitive aspect or side of this is that I had to sit with my dissertation and figure out where I had kind of given away my power to to satisfy the needs of getting my you know the letters behind my name. And so it was a very personal experience to rewrite my story and that's kind of in the beginning of the book. And then and then we dive into all the beautiful, wonderful stories that the mothers in Hawaii are sharing. Um, and then we talk a lot about the history of childbirth and kind of um, step up against some of these really big power players in the realm of medicalization and birth. And it's my hope that it just makes people question what's prescribed to them and hopefully empower them to take responsibility over their lives because it's really easy to give that up we're kind of designed and programmed from the jump to give that up and I don't think that's conducive to our intuition or spirituality or to figuring out the capacity of who we can be as humans so in a nutshell that's it (laughs)
2: I think that's super great. I wanted to touch back where you talked about mixing in academia, because what that brought up for me was that medicalization of birth and pregnancy and how that they very much made a part of academia. And in fact, there's a lot of people who want to control birth through that realm um, of Science and proof and all these different things and kind of that is accepted in academia and then here you have this whole like awareness, which I think many mothers do get to experience when. Whether they have an unmedicated birth or not, or they have you know, and then other women really don't you know, so I want to honor all people's paths and awakenings but um. But this whole other side, and how do you fit that into a PhD? You know, it's not just writing um, or, or or sort of a doing like a class or whatnot. Like this is a whole um, a whole other like specialty, and I was wondering if you could touch a little bit on how you were able to, I guess, get professors to acknowledge this other piece and um, and how that process was for you as far as like, um, I don't know, like proving, I don't know what the word is, but to sort of like say that it was worth it for them to acknowledge this.
1: Ooh, we could talk about this for months and months and months. <laughs> Um, that's a great question, Jamie. I'm glad you asked it, because that's something that I really struggled with too, because the creative powers in me really wanted to just write and share the stories of these mothers, and then I had to kind of make it packaged for academia, and I guess the way that I kind of went about it was um, following that scientific method to prove that you know, home birth moms ascribe to a certain lifestyle and ascribe to a certain set of values. And they might be different, but in general, we all value a lot of the same things. So I had to kind of start with, okay, what's, you know, what's my hypothesis here? What do I think is the outcome? How do I figure out how best to answer my research questions? And so I had to formulate even my research questions around the realm of medical sociology. So I chose the healthy lifestyle theory and I chose theories of, you know, how do people interact with their patient or what does it look like for a patient provider interaction and how can we better that? And I really found that midwifery in general does a great job of speaking to the whole person. Um, So I found that through evidence, so the evidence is that I had to talk to and interview 59 moms throughout the islands, I had to write (laughs) hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of um, transcriptions of those interviews. I had to go through that data and find and pull out the themes that um, not only like supported but also might press up against some of or refute some of my research questions. And then I had to, you know, of course, do my lit review and back up everything with what has been established in medical sociology thus far. Um, and then really make the argument that home birth moms have a lifestyle and a worldview that is really interconnected, especially in Hawaii. And that for them, birth is not just about, and this was kind of the creative part of it, birth is not just about. Uh, physical experience but that is about spirituality it's about connection to Ina it's about connection to family and wanting safety and that these moms were choosing to do birth at home because it was evidence-based for them based off of the research in their own literature reviews that they've been doing you know on all the studies coming out on low-risk moms having home births and also sometimes it's like even Some moms might be considered high risk um, in the medical realm. So then I had to look at, okay, what are these moms' concepts of health? Because it didn't seem like their concept of health was just the biomedical idea that health is the absence of disease. But these moms were like, no, it's not just about being disease-free. This is about being a whole person and birthing the way that feels best and is safest for myself and my family. And living a lifestyle that not just is like, oh, I'm fancy, I can buy organic food, but it's like, I want to eat this way because it's healthy for me, my microbiome, the land, the water, my family. So it really had to do a lot with that spiritual connection, the relationships, and kind of their whole worldview. And so, so many moms have, so many home birth moms have similar lifestyles. And this came out from the evidence of the interview study that I did. So I had to kind of, you know, prove that and then back that up with evidence and then find other literature that also said, hey, we studied home birth moms over here and found the same thing, or maybe found something a little bit different. Um, And so I had to, you know, use that kind of social scientist mind, so to speak, to write on it, which is really cool because I found out a lot of really cool things about home birth moms but then when it came to it i also had to play the game of identity politics sometimes which made me feel really uncomfortable but that's such a big thing in sociology and and by that i mean um i mean that like identity politics can sometimes create you know division between social classes of people or different races or different indigenous statuses or or different cultures and I didn't find in the evidence that moms were like, I only birth this way only because I'm Hawaiian. It was like, I birth this way because I'm Hawaiian and I want X, Y, Z from the land and my family and it's evidence-based. And I also found white moms saying, I birth this way because I want to support the land. I don't believe in colonization of our bodies. I don't believe in, um, you know, using toxic chemicals in my house. So, I found that it's more of a cohesive group of individuals rather than like let's divide home birth moms based off of race and social class and such and such. That made me very uncomfortable and, and at times I was kind of pressured to do that um, but I I don't like that. I, I realize and give honor to everybody's experiences but in my book I reiterate a lot that we all come from that first womb. (laughs) And we're all brothers and sisters here. And we're all floating on a rock in space. And so that was one of the things I think that was a big challenge for me.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear you reflect on that piece. It seems like that's just something that came up. You weren't Looking for that necessarily, if anything, your academic instructions were to find these categories and they should be really clear. And you actually found it's not that clear and it's almost not even about that. That's a piece of it. It's an important piece, but it's not the whole puzzle. It's not even necessarily the driving force of this. It's a bigger picture It's more than that. And that's part of what we're navigating currently in Hawaii while we're still in this ongoing saga of the political world of um, birth options and um, birth attendance and um, what's available here. The crux of this, what you just brought up is this constant place where people are trying to um, make it about all about race. And again, it is an important piece. But can we also defend women's rights uh, just for the sake of, you know, human rights in general? <laughs> um, <clears throat> so so, I'm glad that you found a way to honor the nuance of these categories that academia likes to focus on.
2: It actually almost seems like the, the bigger picture is the we are one, right? We are one with the earth, we are one with each other. We are, you know, so that it almost seems like of all of the factors that come in, right? There's all these different categories, but like maybe the most common one is this like bringing peace. And honoring and respecting one another, and and most particularly the person who is birthing and that soul they are bringing forth, right? This this picture that I think globally we would really like to harness. <laughs> um, Is kind of what I gather I haven't read the whole book yet I've started reading it I haven't read the whole book yet and I'm so so excited to really dive in because I again I remember the beginnings and I remember sitting at the beach with you and you interviewing me and I kind of flipped through and I seen little like bits and pieces of people's stories. So I'm really looking forward to um, to finishing the the book um, with as you have finished it. But is that what you found a little bit? Is that that sort of seems to be the like larger category of where folks are coming from? Like you said, sort of people have more idea of like what their lifestyle is or whatever, but but as far as like a romanticized view of what birth is really capable of?
1: Yeah, I I feel like I feel like with that, so I'll, I guess I'll go back to the kind of the tension with academia, because I think it's important to like, think about socially where we were at, at the time. Um, it was, you know, my, my dis- dissertation committee was reviewing my dissertation at the time when there was riots here for the George Floyd protests. And so for any listeners, I live in St. Paul right now. Um, and just about 15 miles away were all the riots and so um so i think in the social context of the time they really were looking at like okay and maybe it was just a handful of committee members but really looking at the differences in in race and indigenous status with the moms that i was interviewing and and that's all very super important, especially in the context of Hawaii and the history of Absolutely. colonization there and militarization and having been so, you know, abused by the system to the point where you don't even have your language or um, your birthing practices anymore, or not even able to kind of express your culture in a a way that either was banned at you know, back then or now that it's so commercialized that it doesn't maybe feel the same. And I'm not Hawaiian, so I can't speak to what that feels like as a birthing Hawaiian mother. But from the moms that I interviewed, it was more of like, I'm birthing this way. Yes, because I have this history or, or this identity, but it's also about reclamation not only of nation but of body and reclamation of that that birth energy that's been taken away from us and that birth energy is something that is the same across the board so to me it's that like that thread that weaves us all together right and then academia is kind of in this place right now where it's like you really do have to dive into identity politics because it's quote unquote so simplistic to just be like we are all one but I think when we say we're all one we know it's not so simplistic we know how complicated that is but we also know that the deepest truth and the root of it all is that we are all one and that's where we need to work towards kind of coming back to and so that like That is probably one of the main reasons why I named the book Back to the Womb because that's the place that I feel the women were returning to this birth power and returning to this idea of like, we are all connected. We all impact one another. We all need to protect and preserve and reclaim this power as women and as birthing families so you know as daddies too that are supporting the mommies or you know if you're in a same-sex relationship or what have you um your partner's supporting you as you're birthing so so i think that that was a tension i definitely felt because i'm more of the like (laughs) but we're you know but everybody's all the same you know like eventually we have different experiences but we all have souls you know and I don't say that in a simplistic way. I mean, I live in a multicultural multiracial family, but at the end of the day, what ties my husband and I together is like our love for one another. That's a very simple rooted thing. And I think the more that we kind of spend time in that idea that we're so separate is like the worse it's going to get because we're getting further and further and further away from one another. Why not talk about our differences and like, okay, this mom births in this way, or this mom birth in this way because of their backgrounds, but like, what brings us back together? Because obviously the separation is not, it's <laughs> not a good thing for us right now. And we kind of are noticing that intuitively around the world, the more we other one another, uh, the more we have war and the more we have internal battles too.
2: Yeah, finding even that we can weave our differences.
0: Yeah, I had a mom navigate a funny interaction with a friend of hers. Um, you know, she's this black mother having her babies at home, and and her friend said something like, "Oh, home birth—that's that's for that's some white hippie shit," <laughs> but. She she meant it like oh no that's li- like home birth is literally a thing that, that white people just like made up and are like just doing now, and you know my the, the, her friend was uh able to kind of like haha and then like okay but let's have some conversations because you're missing kind of some uh the, the a lot of context and history here by just saying that actually um so. It was, uh, they were good enough friends that they were able to go there ultimately. Um, and then it. if you dive deeper, right, then you find the whole, this whole birth energy reclamation that I hear you speak of that like you felt it when you had your babies and you're like, whoa, world's best kept secret. How do I like make this PSA announcement for the world? Everyone needs to know what this is actually about, right? There's one message I hear a lot from people saying like if it's almost like they do it on purpose I'm not saying they do but all these things that keep women from knowing the true power that can come from birth why would anyone keep a mother from knowing these things knowing how powerful it can be when they do know it so it's like is it an intentional thing to hold women back from this from knowing their power Maybe, maybe not, but one can't help but wonder, right? Because then these women come out of it feeling that power and they're like, oh, I'm transformed. I walk differently. I relate to the world differently. I handle life differently. I can raise kids differently. (laughs) The next generation will be different, (laughs) right? It's so magnificent. It's so deep. And I love that this book is reflecting that. And it's like this advocacy of what it can be about.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Like that's, that's the most logical thought process I think to have too is like, okay, women have birth power, right? What happens when they get to like really, really experience that and how that transforms everything around them? And then like, why aren't we taught this? Why do hospitals not create environments for women who have to birth in the hospital, why do they not create environments for women to experience this there. Why are there so many things that are so fucked up in the medical realm like why why why? like the logical explanation is that somebody took this away from us, and I think. I think that's kind of where I was at for a really long time too. And I still feel like that a lot of the time, but then I think going back and looking at like, how, how did hospitals start in the United States and what happened during that time? Well, most women were birthed, all women at that point, you know, in the early 1800s were birthing at home. And then all of a sudden you had these really big families with a lot of money, like the Carnegie's and the Rothschilds and the, and, and the Rockefellers, and they decided to codify medicine. And they wanted to use universities to teach quote unquote medicine. And they wanted to build hospitals. And then where do you get clients? Well, you gotta get them right when they're born, of course. So, okay, we gotta get the women in the hospitals. And then how do we do that? Well, we gotta start a campaign against midwives. Okay, midwives are dirty. They're liars. They're practicing witchcraft. Okay, how do we get this really really, you know, this message really really spread? Use the churches. Okay. <laughs> you know, let's burn midwives at the stake cuz they're practicing witchcraft and they're anti-Christianity. And then all of a sudden you have women who are like, well, I think I'll oh, birth in the hospital. And unfortunately at that time the doctors weren't well trained to the point where they didn't even know to really wash their hands. I mean, the midwives had to come and tell them to wash their damn hands so they weren't giving women childbirth fever.
0: And then they would poo-poo the midwives, right? They're like, oh, you want us doctors to wash our hands? You mean like the midwives do? That's some weird midwife thing. (laughs) We can't be bothered with that.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Well, and then after that, you know, we had... um, We had really the formation of the legal system kind of really expanding in the U.S. And then with that insurance and and all these things. And then all of a sudden, it makes more sense for a woman to lay on her back at the hospital for the doctor's comfort, for insurance and for the liability issues that might come up. So we're going to control the woman and it feels to me like if you're gonna have a campaign on that level, yeah, you're definitely campaigning against women. And to me, like my spiritual side really feels like it's it's a spiritual attack against who we are as women, our power, but also like taking away our creative powers and putting it in the hands of these big institutions and making us believe that we need to rely on all these institutions for everything. And don't get me wrong, like, hospitals save lives a lot of times. And hospitals can like, are great in an emergency. And they're great if you're, you know, stage four on on cancer or something. Like, thank God we have medicine and we have hospitals. But the way that they kind of took over the, cultural powers and the personal powers that we have really feels like it was a directed effort against women and we've just we've lost so much of our power because of it and I think that but then you give birth at home and you're like holy shit Mm -hmm. um I can do something that like a whole entire massive system told me I wasn't capable of what you know and I Experienced a lot of the things that the home birth moms experienced too, like people calling you crazy. Oh, you're crazy for doing that. (laughs) What? Really? I'm crazy for, I mean, you don't tell people they're crazy for taking a shit in the morning. Mm -hmm. And that's just a bodily function, just like birth. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's just, you know, but where's the power here? Well, our power of creativity and um, birthing new souls in the world and protecting their spirits, I think is we've been endowed with that from our creator. And I think, you know, it's unfortunate where we're at in birth with this, in this country, but it's incumbent upon us to resist that. And that's kind of our our burden, but also an opportunity for women to like, like F this, I'm taking my power back.
0: Mm-hmm this the notion of polarization and and not doing that it's come up a few times in this conversation in some way or another um and I want to dive more into it because it's an inevitable piece that comes up right was like oh well once you wake up to the realities of the power of birth and and that maybe there's some I mean you did an amazing job laying out the history of medicine and anyone hasn't heard those names before and the very intentional systematic creation of medicine as we know it and the eradication of anything different I would highly dive into that rabbit hole (laughs) Um, because there was some very intentional and sinister domination of that industry which makes people distrust that industry very rightfully so and it becomes convoluted then it's like well where's the overlap though of certain scenarios where those skills are actually genuinely needed for life-saving situations and it's like then what do you make of that is it evil or is it not (laughs) it's like ah it's complicated it's both um uh I'll add another layer to it where you know then we Yes, there's that history. And then also there was um, not just them taking the power, they certainly took the power. And then there was also a lot of handing it over, right? We know the history of, I mean, women in this country in the USA demanded that twilight sleep. They're like, our... You know, the women in Europe are getting it. Why are these American doctors denying us the right to pain-free childbirth? How dare they? How dare they? (laughs) So it was very demanded. I mean, they they were marching in the streets for their rights to Twilight Sleep. Granted, they didn't know what we know now of what Twilight Sleep actually is um, and how horrific it is. And thankfully, we figured it out and we stopped it. But there's that interplay as well of, you know, actually, uh, birth is gnarly, and I would like to, you know, step out of it. Right? It it's not so simple. Of like, oh, it's just powerful as long as you don't put your foot in the hospital, then you'll just feel the power. Right? It's so much more to it. Of like, how do you feel the power? Right? Um, could you speak more to what you may have uncovered in all your interviews of people who did have to navigate maybe being in between worlds of life for some reason they did end up in the hospital or whether it was in labor or just appointments or could you speak to that overlap how did people make sense of that part for themselves
1: yeah absolutely so all the moms that i interviewed had and this is such a weird word to say but successful home births right like but some of them had done a hospital birth previously and then went on to have a home birth. And some moms had kind of navigated or straddled the system by being home birth moms, but also doulas for um, you know, hospital birth mothers that they were going into the hospitals to support. And and I also did ask um pretty much every mom that I interviewed, like. What do you think about hospitals? Like what do you think about doctors? And all of them were like, yeah, doctors are great, you know. They're great for the right things. Hospitals are great for the right things. But they're not always great for birth, and when they are, they are. When a woman is um n- needing a cesarean section or when a woman stops feeling fetal movement, great, like and her midwife is like, okay, I really think that we need a higher level of care. That's such a wonderful option for mom. So it wasn't anything that was like demonized in the interviews, but it was deeply understood that the, the hospital setting by just energetically and by its history was very much a colonial setting And in different ways, like it was a colonial setting for some moms that like, I don't want, I don't want somebody taking power over my body. That feels like colonization over my body. And I don't want that. And then for other moms, it was like, yes, it does feel like that. And it's colonization over my culture. Like these hospitals came in and they wiped out all of our healers. And they told us that our healers can no longer take care of us or they built the hospital literally on top of like native healing plants. Like, so it literally was a structure that took out healing energy. And um, I think this is like kind of maybe something for the allopathic side of medicine to learn is like maybe some integration would be helpful to serving people. Definitely, I think it would. And there's some hospitals in Australia that are taking Aboriginal medicine and integrating it with um, more Western style of healing. But it was, but overall the institution is demonized. The doctors were not demonized. So it's an understanding of like, okay, these people are functioning in an institution that we know is not really healthy for us, but sometimes we have no choice, but to ask for help. these doctors and and that that's okay to do and i had some moms that had to go in you know after they give birth too, for uterine infections or postpartum bleeding that just like never let up and like maybe a little piece of placenta was still stuck in the uterus and um they were so grateful that they were able to have you know a mini surgery so to speak to get out what was causing infection and a midwife was not capable of doing that. And some midwives are capable of like giving you the right herbs and giving you the right tools to get that out, but sometimes we need a little extra help and that's just bodies because bodies are complicated. (laughs) So it's okay to see a doctor Um, and I don't try to demonize doctors. I try to demonize institutions that try to take
2: power from people. I just wanted to wheel it back to the, um, to when Daniella was talking about sort of giving, also just like sort of giving into this, right? Of like, yes, take the pain away, take these things away, you know? Um, and then that sort of got me on a little like backwards thought process of like, when did humanity really start fearing the pain of birth? Right, because if you look at other mammals, we know they're contracting we know they're expanding we know that and obviously they don't have the same conscious mind that we do or not the same we don't actually know how. How expansive other animals are as well right, but we do know that they're going through sensations as well right, especially when they're giving live birth or who knows even a chicken laying an egg right, so you know. I was kind of like wheeling back of like, did that come also like have have we always feared that pain and that discomfort? Did that come from the, the notion that women are having punishment for the original sin and this widespread sort of narrative that that cast around the whole globe that also, you know, like the first colonialization really right of like forget your culture, forget your gods, forget like this is the way, right? The original colonization um, that was massively spread. And then that being sort of like then women in our day and age of us having these technologies and the doctors sort of like that now medicine is the new savior, medicine is the God, you know? And, and so this worshiping of, taking this away and then you know now we're having some reflections a little bit and and it's not to really like play the religious role either like I really honored everybody's beliefs and and who they you know um feel connected to in whatever way but it's like what we take away the pain the physical pain of birth in exchange for what is sort of where I guess it's like I just I was just sort of like listening to what you guys were talking about and then scrolling and scrolling and scrolling down. And it is an exchange for what which might be why when folks are having their babies at home and they're laying there in the postpartum and they're thinking, "Oh my gosh." Right? Or women birthing in a hospital setting leaving feeling like what's missing? something's missing right so what we are exchanging that pain for may not be a physical but actually a spiritual or a lineage or an ancestral connection um versus that physical pain so just a little tangent that i kind of went off on on the side as i was listening to you guys talk but i was. Just sort of thinking about that, and and something for for families to think about, right? What are we exchanging this for, and when when did we really start fearing that, right? That big expansive power of birth.
1: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, I love I love this topic. I'm glad you guys both brought it up because. It is it is like like you said, like the science as God now. And I think a lot of people subscribe to that idea that really science is God and that this is the only way we know our truth or science is the all encompassing thing that we should be focusing on rather than spirituality and like um, science or the scientific method. Not surprisingly it came along at the same time as when these, you know, big three families started developing hospitals and universities. And then, you know, even universities use the scientific method. You have to use it, whether it's a social scientific or physical sciences or or what have you, you have to use that to complete PhD, which is considered the highest level of you know thought and intellectualism or whatever or knowledge seeking and it's like no that's not the only way we get knowledge like we get knowledge also through our bodies whether what are our bodies telling us and that that came back to me so much because i'm like my body tells me so much all the time and all of our bodies tell us so much all the time but we live or we're conditioned to live in a world that really separates the mind and the body so all of a sudden when you're birthing you, re- I mean, you have to be in your body. You can't just stay up in your head the whole time because your body's going to be like, uh-uh, honey, we're here in the body. We're in your uterus right now, girlfriend. <laughs> like, You can't think this away. So <laughs> then you have to sit with like, what is, what is happening in my body? And I think that really scares a lot of women. And I think it really scares a lot of women who have had sexual trauma too in in their childhood or in in their history throughout their lifetimes. And so I, I never again like to demonize women for getting an epidural, right? Because maybe they maybe they can't go there and feel safe in their bodies. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy that we have that for women who have or are not ready to work through those things. But again, if a woman is surrounded in her love bubble with safe people at home. Pain is just maybe 2% of what birth is. And I don't think we're taught that. We're just taught like, you know, we watch videos or, you know, movies, somebody's giving birth and they're in pain the entire time. And it's never like described to us like, hey, you have a contraction. And then the pain kind of goes away for a little bit. You get a breather unless your contractions are like back to back to back or you're having back labor, you really do get a little break in there. And then the other question I had is like, why do we feel like pain is a bad thing? It is an uncomfortable sensation for sure. But it's also like really important information. Like if your head hurts, it's information that you need to probably drink some water with and have a little sea salt on your tongue. Like you're dehydrated or you're overthinking. Like these are all really wonderful things that our bodies do naturally without interruption that give us information so we can survive in the best way possible. So the pain during childbirth is really important and productive, of course, we know that. But also like for me, and I think for a lot of moms, it gave us the opportunity to also go into our own pain that we were carrying and to heal that pain because we can't always take that into our motherhood. We can't always take our past baggage into how we're raising our children. And I think that pain for a woman and transcending that gives her the strength to be like, you know what, you've overcome this, you've let it go. And in my birth with Bella, I let go of so much pain with every contraction And I was, it was a very emotionally intense experience. But then like that prepared me to be her mommy. Like I feel so bad for moms who don't get that experience to heal through childbirth. And we don't usually say like, you're going to heal through pain, but, but really that's kind of like, even with our addiction issues in the U S like you have to go through the pain to heal. You have, you have to, and you know, even therapy, you have to, if you decide to go to therapy, you're going to experience some pain. And on the other side of that is like an incredible expansiveness. And just a weight off your shoulder that like, okay, I don't need to carry that forward. And I have the strength to live my life now, or to be a mommy or to be a dad, because dads go through some pain too. during job. They got to support their, their lady. And I said that because
2: Henry's over here. daddy. Thank you. All
3: right. What oh, are your
1: insights? <laughs> what are your insights? Oh,
3: uh, are we talking about the, the book?
2: Yes, <laughs> we're talking about the book, and we're talking about how important it is for families to experience birth together.
3: Oh, yeah, I, I think it's very important. Thanks for having Alex on. And I didn't get your name. What's her name?
0: I'm Daniela.
3: We've Daniela. Daniela. it before, right? We name? have,
0: but it's been a few years since we started. Yeah, it. It.
3: It's like six years. Uh-huh. I'm a little yeah. older.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's true. Yeah, we're so honored to share. Uh, or hear the magic and the wisdom of, you know, Alex becoming a mother and you growing your family together, yeah. and all the lessons that your children have brought forth for you
3: yeah, and I've, the world. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a like I I I, I caught you saying that you're you know it's it, you have to go through pain mm-hmm. to uh, like to grow. Um, i I was thinking whenever you I like farming, you know like farming when you plant a seed, it has to completely die sometimes to bring the new life, but what comes out of it it's more beautiful, more powerful, and I think that's the same kind of concept you know that, mm-hmm. um it's it's the same for for i mean more for for women but <laughs> but it's it's the same for the parents, like a man too, being there and experiencing. Um, I mean, I remember being in, in, with Jamie, you know, when Noah was being born and I, I you know, I've seen it before, but, you know, it's always different and always, di- you know, you always bringing a new person, a new life. And, you know, it's it's very exciting and um I usually tell Alex that there's nobody that can hurt somebody else if they see that process. And and usually men are the ones that go to war and fight and do all that stuff, but if they're in the room like that, it's it's gonna be so hard for for people to like hurt one another.
0: Yeah,
1: you start to look at everybody like they're a newborn and like honor their lives you know Yeah, because like,
3: you don't want to you don't want to yeah. end that process you saw how it started mm-hmm. and you you instead you want it, water it you want it to grow you don't want to end
1: well um, yeah and i so. think when you see a woman going through like the pain right and like not every woman has a, a painful birth but when you see a woman like go through all of that and you see what it takes to grow a baby and you see what it takes to birth a baby and To feed a baby and to stay up at night with a baby and to you know wipe their little boogers off and stay up all night when they're sick and all the things all the sacrifices that parents do you just like very much honor life and and you don't even have to be a parent to honor life necessarily but when you're in the thick of it you really realize like wow this is a very important thing to protect
3: yeah it is and for the for the dad too like it's it's very important for the fathers to to be in that room i don't know it, it, it's it's something like i i can't explain to somebody that the umbilical cold is actually harder to cut
0: <laughs>
3: you know what i mean <laughs> unless you experience it because most people don't get that chance to like get that opportunity to actually say hey i cut your i, I your umbilical cold. I was part of it you know Mm -hmm. and there's so much connection you can even Mm -hmm. see it with your kids just me telling him that that you were connected to your mom and I was the one that cut the umbilical cord Mm -hmm. and it's it's so fun to to just tell the kids that stories and
1: well it's cool because I feel like that's home birth offers that opportunity to get the whole family involved yeah. and the whole family gets to see what an honor it is to bring a life into the world. And what, I mean, sometimes it's a struggle and not all births are, you know, birth is messy. Sometimes it can be traumatic and crazy and wild ride, but to, to see it come to, you know, the birth of a live child and uh, a mother and a family that's just brought in a, a new little soul like that that's an incredible opportunity, and I can't imagine you would get that same opportunity in that way in the hospital, so I mean I've never given birth in the hospital so but, but
2: also <laughs> the, a lot of children aren't even allowed in the hospital after covid and whatnot they really limit still the amount of people and definitely don't necessarily want children there
3: and the other thing I was gonna say as a as a father or uh, uh, a man we we tend to try to protect our wives you know like that's 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 the mentality now you're in a situation where you see your wife is very vulnerable and you can't protect them but in a setting of uh like a midwife in a your house or your home you still have like kind of control or you're, the people that you let in their house, you know they they are fully trusted, um, as opposed to you know being in in a hospital and
1: yeah, I could imagine that you know, might feel really emasculating yeah, for men.
3: It, it feels different for yeah. for us. And, yeah, I mean, I'm speaking as an in individual, but that's what I, I I feel. It's a it's a more controlled, privacy, uh, environment than than somebody you see once or twice a month or you
1: know? yeah just a total stranger in your way. I mean look at you look next. at look at us
3: we we're still talking <laughs> we are still friends you know and you know we we'll still if we had another kid we'll do it again you know uh so, yeah I
1: mean we wouldn't birth with anybody else.
3: Yeah you so <laughs> and as there's I I mean, there's a lot of people who had doctors, they can't even pronounce their names, you know? So there's no, that relationship is not continued as opposed to Jamie. <laughs>
2: yeah, we become family. It's really true. Yeah, it's it's such a gift Um, to-, to
3: I'll, like. let you, <laughs> I'll let you go. Uh, Thank you so much. Nice to meet you. I love you,
2: Henry. I got
3: father duty.
0: Exactly. That was brilliant. That was perfect timing. You're talking about the power of birth, the power of woman, how that changes you as a mother and a woman. And then it's like, oh, boom. Okay, then the partner as well, seeing the woman going through that transformation, feeling that power too. And how the power of you going through it, yes, that fosters a certain connection with yourself, spirit, your lineage, and then also the man fostering these different connections in a deeper way to his woman, to his children, to life,
2: right? This is yeah. it. This is Actually, what it is. I loved his analogy of the seed and then the blossom, right? I was thinking along the lines of like, the pain is the fever that has to burn off all the junk, right? His his thing is so much prettier. His analogy is so much prettier. <laughs> you know, but that is true. Sometimes you have to or the butterfly and the chrysalis, right? The caterpillar, the chrysalis, the butterfly. It's yeah, really-
1: and I don't think we get like many opportunities to like experience pain in a way that like transcends us spiritually. I mean, probably, probably like major athletes, you know, who really push their bodies to the limit might experience that, but they also might be so much in a physical um, energy that they don't experience that spiritually on the same level, or maybe people who are going through disease, and have to, you know, really endure, you know, that fever, you know, endure chemo or endure um, really lengthy recovery processes from surgery and things like that, that really help them to kind of shed their old self. But I think birth is very unique in, in the sense that you get the opportunity to shed your new self and you get to bring in a new person, which is just fantastic. And so pain doesn't have to be something we even put moral judgment on, even though we're taught to, it's like, maybe pain can be good. And if we think of it as good, then how do we relate to the sensation of pain? And what does our mind tell us and our body tell us about pain? If we can really like embrace the concept that maybe it's a good thing sometimes. So I think, and I I think overall that helps us with the aging process too, because as we age, it's inevitable, we're going to feel more pain. And how can we be patient with that? And how can we sit with that? And how can we go deeper into ourselves with that and transcend maybe out of it or learn how to live with it and still find the beauty of life?
0: Yep. It's a rite of passage for a reason. It's a ceremony for a reason. Uh, I often reference this story that I believe I read in, um, yeah, the birth justice book, but it was a young mom, you know, teenage mom, and she was going to put her baby up for adoption because she's like, I'm a teenager. I'm, I'm not ready for this. I can't mother a child. I'm a child. And um but then she ended up having her baby and it was an unmedicated birth and afterward she's like actually I can do this and of course there's probably something to it of like oh my goodness falling in love with this being now you see the being that you created of course and but also you know that process of going through labor shaped this young woman into a woman at a very young age but it was transformative and she found out how strong she is and she grew and she was wiser and realized gosh maybe I can handle it it'll be hard but I just did something really hard and I came through on the other side and I did it somehow so it really built her up to believe in herself right So that really just like encapsulate it for me, like the power is like right there. And she was in the hospital; she's had a hospital birth, you know, but she still found power. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, yeah. It really is about finding our power and like, and then even afterwards, keeping keeping that power. Like, because just because you have a home birth doesn't mean you're never going to be afraid of anything, and. Just because you have a home birth doesn't mean you can conquer everything with that full confidence of, I gave birth so I can do this. Sometimes we, I mean, it's natural. Like sometimes we still have those fears and we still have to go through these painful moments and we still have to remind ourselves like, okay, we'll still, we'll still get to the other side. And birth is a great reminder of that, of like, we can still get to the other side. And, and it's okay still to have fear about things. Cause I think there's this like idea that, <laughs> Oh, I gave birth at home. I could do anything, you know, <laughs> but I haven't stopped being fearful of certain things, even though I have had my med- unmedicated, you know, births or, you know, home births, I still have fears and I still work through that. And I still have these little opportunities to shed and and grow and, and, and in that moment though, I think that's the gift of postpartum though. Cause in that moment of postpartum, you just feel like a super mama, like you could do anything. And that's the design. It's the design so we can look back on it. When we have hard moments with our children, we can say, okay, well, it's gonna be hard and I'm kind of afraid, but I did that. So I think I can do this. <laughs> And if I don't feel like I can do this, I'm going to do it anyway, because I have that spirit in me now and I've reclaimed my power. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a constant of going back to that energy, too, because we could just as well be like, well, uh, you know, I had my births at home and but now I'm going to go back into the medical system or now I'm going to give up my power by um, listening to the government and everything they tell me to do or I'm going to give up my power um, to, to maybe you're in a bad relationship and you're giving up your power to your partner, or you're giving up your power, in my case, a lot of my power was given up to this idea of the institution of academia and getting letters behind my name, meaning that would maybe take me away from some of the pain of poverty or protect me from poverty or protect me from um, failure. but. That's not where the power is, because none of that, none of the institutions at the end of the day are going to protect us. We have to do that with each other and with our communities, and we have to constantly go back to that, like, okay, we can give birth. We have this power inside of us. Am I going to give my power away knowing that? So, I don't know. That's the theme kind of... (laughs) throughout COVID and like throughout my relationship with academia and relationship with myself and, and just relationship with people that I'm around. Sometimes I give my power away to family members and then I'm like, whoa, you know what? I should have spoken up for myself or whoa, I should maybe, you know, shouldn't have done that. And what am I going to do better next time? And, And I think Giving birth at home is a great opportunity to continue that process throughout life.
2: Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say that that's like a really good sort of like, yeah, this is the synopsis. This is the the crux of even all the stories, right? And again, I just, I'm so looking forward to, to getting even deeper into the stories because um, those are the empowerment that help the next generation find their power too, which is why it being all encapsulated in this this very sweet, beautiful cover on it, like this little book of like goodness and reclamation and and finding self and and remembering, remembering. Because that, you know, as I've always said, as somebody who supports birth, it is really my job to help people remember, right? Like, I can't keep them low risk. I can't keep them, like, those, all those things are their job. <clears throat> it's my job to help them, like, to support them in that reclaiming and that remembering. And um, I mean, obviously, there's other little nuances to that, but really, thought, and I and I love that that is just in this beautiful little book. And when I saw the cover, and that you have the spirity soul, um, remind me of the the artist's name. What is her What is her um, name?
1: Katie Atkinson. And um, I was like, I had I saw this picture. I was like, I I have to That's ask. So her to this uh, photo, because I'm like, it, it encompasses the, the overall part of birth, but like, it's also really important to me for the to places in the context of Hawaii too. Because Hawaii is obviously such a uniquely beautiful place, but also a place that has a lot of pain in terms of that that feeling of needing remembrance and reclamation and, and coming back. And it's not even like a coming back to in terms of timeline. Like we're not romanticizing the past, but coming back to that, that essence of like our power lies within us given by our creator or the universe or what have you. And that like that's ours, that's nobody else's. And a lot of people and institutions have tried so hard to take that away. And the resilience of the human spirit is an an incredible thing that somebody, I'm sure many people have written on, but at the end of the day, if we're gonna keep birthing and mommies are gonna keep birthing at home, no matter what anybody tells them. (laughs) If we have that, at least we have a start at least we have a starting place that we can always come back to forever like that brings me a lot of hope for the future because i know a lot of people are like things are getting bad out there politically and the you know institutions want more power over us and um, these institutions want to force us to do things with our bodies and our minds and it's like yeah, but we still have it. We still have this power and they still can't take it away no matter what. And and it's incumbent again upon us not to give it away. And we have to have awareness and we have to teach our young women and young men um, how to protect and preserve that and carry that forward. But it, I think it will always be in us. It's just part of who we are by design. So I think that's pretty cool. And I think That's a a big gift that the first mother or grandmother gave us.
0: Well, I was going to ask you what birth sovereignty means to you, but I think you've thoroughly addressed many angles of it so far, actually. Um, Is there anything else that you would add to what is birth sovereignty? You've asked other people of their journey with it and what's what's true for you that you haven't already said
1: (laughs) like personally um I think for me it's just about like being surrounded by loving people especially when you're giving birth but also all the time like it's really important to be surrounded by people who understand the value of humanity, and who are aware of like, how they impact the energy of the room and how they impact your energy. And midwives are great at feeling out the energy of the room and shifting the energy of the room so that the mommy can feel loved and safe. And that to me is the space and place where like I feel like I thrive the most when I'm surrounded by that energy so it's not just in the birth room it's like everywhere everywhere is an opportunity to birth a space and a place that's loving and like allows people to connect with their most inner self and to be like affirmed in who they are and affirmed in like what they need I mean and in my particular birth like experiences it was it was also just part of me like it's a very individualized experience like when you go to that rainbow bridge and you go into that space and i don't know how to explain it in english but like just visually you go into the you travel through everything like you travel through time you travel like you're no longer in time you're no longer in physical form anymore you're in the spirit realm and everything is truth there and everything is love there and then you get to get your baby and then you get to come back together and then you like you get to hold that space and be in that space it's just like that space to me is where you're the most free and it's a very spiritual experience and again I could paint a picture of it I can't explain it very well in English But that to me is like
0: my sovereignty there. Brilliant. I love that for you, it's so intertwined in relationships. Mm -hmm. Sovereignty isn't this void of just this individual, even though we may be talking about individuals, bodily sovereignty and spiritual sovereignty, but it's a relational thing. Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah that's so true like and I was lucky to have like my partner with me because not all mommies can maybe they're deployed or maybe they've broken up or you know unfortunately some women lose their partners and they're no longer alive at the time that the babies are born but I think still creating that space even if your partner isn't there Being surrounded by the love of midwives is like like the kind of protective barrier. Like, you know how a cell has like a cell wall or whatever, and Mm -hmm. you have all the mitochondria and stuff inside. Like the midwives are there protecting that bubble. And then you're able to expand anywhere you want because you're in this protective place you don't have to worry about judgment. You don't have to worry about what time it is. You don't have to worry about um, what you need to cook or clean or <laughs> whatever. Like you're in it. You're you're in your body. You're experiencing the full capacity of what your body can do. And that includes love and expansion and, and a travel to the spirit realm, which is incredibly amazing and painful and crazy and trippy and wildly just amazing but that's the space I think that we have to protect because if we don't allow our women to go to that space and we don't provide containers for them to feel safe to go to that space I don't think you can fully understand your capacity or the capacity of life if you can't allow women or be in the room to experience women who are experiencing that if we take that away we take away so much we take away so much of our
0: humanity and that's the piece that is often overlooked and people will say things like oh what you want a trophy for birthing unmedicated like you're not going to get a trophy like what are you trying to prove and it's like no you're missing the point that's not it like I mean there's some rewards but people aren't as the rewards are bigger than some metal or something like hey look at me i can handle pain like no it's not that it's this bigger picture of what it's connected to the ripples in the individual and the children and the partners and the family in the fabric of humanity
1: mm-hmm. absolutely and like if if you were a little baby how would you want to come into the world <laughs> you know like what does that do how does that set babies up for who they're going to be in the world and how their nervous systems are going to function and like how they want to be introduced to their lives mm. it's such an important part not only for the mom but the baby too like you want the baby to have sovereignty in that way too not just the mom you want the baby to have say, you want to at least give them say over like, do you want your foreskin cut right away? I know this is a controversial topic, but does a baby want to be cut right when they're born? Probably not.
2: <laughs> or even I just would- vigorously rubbed or any of the, you know, like I think about that a lot. You know, when the babies come they don't want to hear me they don't want a hat shoved over their head. They, you know, <laughs> unless it's really cold. You know. <laughs> they don't. And I think that there's yeah that is it helped me inform how I wanted to birth.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And each time that change. And maybe that changes depending on the personality of the child growing inside of you too, right? Because man, sometimes you crave things that you're like, I would never want this must be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I think that that safety of coming into the world, does my mom feel safe? Because we know that they feel what we feel. Is it safe out there? When I arrive? What am I going to be met with? Is it a bulb syringe up my nose? Because that's just what we do, or is it sort of, you know, only only do interfering if necessary? Because um, you also don't want a baby to be struggling and being like, "Help, help!" You know. <laughs> so having that discernment um, is really important. But yeah, how we're received matters and how our mothers are held in that space matters. And that then also does translate to the partners. How is my partner being treated as I'm going through this? Not able to care for them because I have to be really focused and all of that. It does, it has a ripple effect. It all plays a role.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even like, now I think hospitals are doing the the, um, the schmears on the babies. Like if they come through cesarean section, now they're taking a swab of the mommy's vaginal canal and colonizing the baby's skin with her her vaginal kind of microbiome. Like because we know that disconnection is not great for any of us. And sometimes that disconnection comes down to even these little tiny um, bacteria that have been passed from our grandmothers to our mothers to us and so on and so forth up the chain of our ancestors. Like that carries a lot of wisdom that carries a lot of connectivity that carries a lot of immune protecting mechanisms, too. So it's like it's not. It's not just like we're romanticizing, oh, birth is this spiritual fluffy thing that's so cool, but like also this is biological, you know? This is like we're also talking about the like public health here, you know? If we keep sterilizing mommies or sterilizing the rooms that they're born in and we keep cutting women open unnecessarily, not to say that it's, sometimes it is necessary but unnecessarily and then bathing the baby right away we're taking away all that wonderful microbiome that carries a lot more than just bacteria it carries our intuition too and that's like you can find scientific studies that actually say yeah this microbiome is actually part of our protection as humans like we get gut feelings because somewhere along the line you know, our grandmother, great-grandmother, something happened to them, and then they gained the wisdom that this was good for me, or this wasn't good for me, and that transformed even their gut bacteria, such that it's passed down to us, so we know, maybe I shouldn't eat that plant, maybe I should eat that plant, or maybe I should (laughs) not eat those mushrooms, and I should eat those mushrooms, (laughs) Mm -hmm. so this is all, like, we're born with so much wisdom because of this, and I think that's also part of, you know, protecting that birth sovereignty.
2: And it's honoring the science, which we, I know earlier we kind of, were, you know, maybe people would think, oh, now, you know, it's not about the pendulum swinging so extreme, right? It's about weaving the differences, as we were talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Because it is, I mean, sometimes it seems silly to like have to have science prove common sense. And at the same time. um, You know, if that's where we're at, then let's let it prove common sense, you know, um, and yeah, it is definitely a space worth protecting. For for our past to be connected to our future. Mm
1: -hmm. I had one mommy say that she felt a big responsibility to birth in this way because she was the most living lineage of the DNA that has been passed down to her. And I thought that was such a beautiful sentiment, like, okay, I carry the responsibility or the kuleana of my ancestors and I have to honor them, but I also have to honor what comes after me and that was just, the way she said it was just so cool. Cause I was like, yeah, that makes so much sense. And again, from a scientific perspective, this is true. And I had a ton of moms. I mean, home birth moms are not uneducated people. And no matter if they have letters behind their names or they don't, they're very well-informed people. And they think thoroughly through the decisions that they make. They're not just like I just want to do this because it sounds cool or it's trendy or hippie. Like they usually will like research things uh, until the end of research. <laughs> I mean, they're like I want to research how how much uh, stem cells my children will get if the cord if I leave the cord. Um, you know, I don't cut the cord and it stops pulsating. Or if I do a lotus birth, how much does that impact the health of my child long-term? Like these women are doing their research and they're researching glucose drinks. What's in the glucose drink? Is it healthy for me? Is it healthy for my body? What's in it? What's not in it? What does the science say about whether or not I should do this or not? And they're not stupid people. And I think we need to get that message across to the mainstream because we all know it. But again, there's this idea that we're anti-science and we can even rewind back to a couple of years ago where people were called anti-science for not subscribing to do certain things that public health advocates or governmental figures or leaders of corporations of big pharma corporations were saying you should do this to prevent this. And people were like, wait, I want to research more. I want to know what's good for me. And that's all really good knowledge. And it's a good practice to have. And it's not anti-science. So (laughs) we can get into all that too. But that's just to say that home birth moms have a lot of stigma. um, But they're really educated women. They're smart women. They know what they're doing. And for anybody to think otherwise sounds crazy to me.
0: It's fascinating how asking questions gets deemed as anti-science when the foundation of science is in fact the scientific method. It, it is asking questions. <laughs> That's literally the point. <laughs> it doesn't get more scientific than that. <laughs> right. Um,
1: and like to come back to something that you guys mentioned earlier about you know, the tensions between being in academia and having to take that scientific route. And then also knowing how spiritual birth is too, and how do you prove something like that? And it's like, well, sometimes science is so far behind actual knowledge that we have, or the scientific tools are not capable of proving that something exists or something is good because the tools are limited or the process or the method is limited. So it's just an opportunity for us to expand the way that we think. Um, And I think we shouldn't get caught up in just using one standard method to get to truth. And we should also know like, you know, like indigenous people have been drinking bone broth forever. Like Henry would be like making bone broth soup and being like you need to drink this this is like 10 years ago i'm like i don't want to drink that and then all of a sudden this research comes out and bone broth soup is like the best thing and it's so good for your immune system and your skin and all this and i was like oh henry um i guess you were right (laughs) he's like yeah because the science didn't catch up fast enough so i think we have to remember too like it science is very limited and it's not the only path to knowledge and Sometimes it takes forever for science to to reflect what's going on in real time.
2: Well, and not everything can be measured.
1: Yes, that's true. And thank God for that. Yes.
0: <laughs> and maybe we don't have the capacity to even measure things right now and we don't have the right tools or we're not looking in the right place
2: no one could ever measure how a mother's love how big and expansive it is there is no tool to measure that and there never will be
1: (laughs) and you know what's so great is that there won't be because I feel like when science gets a hold of information it, it can become dangerous sometimes because then it can become the overseer of that. And again, we don't want
2: information.
1: (laughs) And we don't want hospitals measuring mother's love. We don't want that. We don't want our scientific community to measure some of the most intimate pieces of our spirituality. And I think there's a, a good reason for that. And one other thing I do have to say about being in academia too, is like one thing that really turned me off is that A lot of the well-funded studies like through the NIH are and they do some great studies there and there's some fantastic people and I'm sure very intelligent people that work there. But um, things don't get funded that don't have wide application or don't have some sort of monetary application. And so when somebody says there's no science behind that, it's like, there's no science because there's no science. Nobody's done that project because nobody's been funded to do that project. And so we can say there's no evidence to prove that. Well, yeah, well, there's no evidence to prove it because nobody has the money to go through this whole scientific process to prove that. But we can kind of know, like just intimately and intuitively and like spiritually know that things exist and happen, even if the NIH hasn't done a research project on it. <laughs>
0: exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a time where everything needs to be evidence-based, I mean, that can only be as good as the quality of the evidence and also the quality of the research and the researchers and their interests and what's willing to be funded. So it, it gets complicated and and it's like well what are they not studying just because they didn't study it doesn't mean that's not well founded so um you got to talk to moms about how they weighed all these different things and how they made decisions right and then it's easy to write someone off as a nutcase for making a decision that's not quote evidence-based just because they factored in some other elements that maybe your sterile formula doesn't want to consider <laughs> but are nonetheless real uh and this is uh, the nuances that moms navigate all the time and exactly this time right
1: i mean so many moms have had things happen to their kids or their kids get sick and the mom knows exactly what's going on And it takes so much lab work and tests and all this to finally affirm what the mom knew all along and, and mothers and and women in general, always, they, they get dismissed. I mean, a lot of women are like, I'm having a hormone imbalance issue. And they're like, no, everything's in range. And then later on it finds out, you know, they find out, Oh, actually this is going on. Um, so it's just a really good reminder to, listen to your body and to be connected with yourself and to listen to when when women especially are like something's going on they're usually not cuckoo bananas (laughs) they usually know what's going on
2: (laughs) that's definitely the truth (laughs) <laughs> and even if it sounds like whatever they think is going on is cuckoo bananas you know it's also their own lived experience and i think that that's also something that like you know to validate that that like wow i wouldn't have gone there i wouldn't have thought that but it's not mine to judge or to decide for someone else either right so yeah, yeah it takes a
1: little a lot of like faith and a lot of um, trust in other people too to not want to control that in them and to say, you know what, I trust that whatever you think is going on is what's going on, and I'm not here to tell you otherwise, but I'm just here to support you and allow other people to have that sovereignty because we all have different beliefs, we all have different approaches of how we're going to live life and do things, and it's like the more that we try to tell other people what to do, the more that we're taking away their sovereignty and not honoring them too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So let's explore it, right? Let's explore that thought. Let's explore that notion.
0: So. Well, yeah, like you said earlier, ultimately this whole power conversation and how do you reclaim that? Let's well, see, you. you reclaim it and you, throughout many experiences and different chapters and opportunities and decisions but it's something you do it doesn't get handed to you no one can give it to you not even a home birth midwife like it's not about the other people I mean yes we talked about relationships being important yes but if it's that individual doesn't make that step to reclaim it that i mean that's the biggest piece first <laughs> then relationships can come into play and everything but no one can do that part for you no matter what setting you're in it's up to you and it's possible but you can't wait for it to be handed in, in the hospital systems you know they it's such a dance of power plays. They're certainly not going to hand it to you. They're too worried about too many other things. So you got to claim that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, it's, and it's a hard place to interface. And we could have a whole podcast series dedicated to interfacing with the system and <laughs> claiming your power. And Maybe we actually kind of do. Actually, that's what we do um that is our podcast (laughs) that's the whole point (laughs) claiming your power (laughs) um and and hopefully
1: we're not always in situations where we have to fight against power it takes a lot of energy to do that and Mm -hmm. so like a lot of the moms i interviewed were like women are brave for birthing in the hospital that's a lot of effort to go against that power oh what a lot of energy how many
2: times I've heard that where they're like they think I'm brave I think they're brave
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's too much energy to fight all the time like just give me a space where I can relax and push my baby out (laughs) yeah birth is enough of a challenge that I don't want it I don't want more of that struggle and and um you know it's kind of like a little pest or a little bully the more that you ignore power structures and you live your life authentically in spaces that you feel powerful over your own life, the less they seem to impact you. And I think that's kind of the formula. And, and yeah, we're gonna butt up against power structures for sure, because of just where we live and how we need to survive in the world. But the more we can set our lives up where we're not constantly having to fight and resist, the more we're living, like that's, that's also part of reclaiming your sovereignty is like living in your truth and not just like telling people what your truth is, but like just living it.
0: Right. It's about the entire picture of living life, right? How you relate to life, the decisions you make day in, day out is where sovereignty can come through is where the reclamation comes through and then it can be reflected even more deeply in the birth sometimes birth is the catalyst sometimes birth is just a reflection of having lived that way already so as we come to the closing time of our episode adventure today um, what are some of your closing thoughts for people about your book about this journey you've been on to birth this beautiful project Um,
1: um embrace the pain if you want to do really cool shit in life <laughs> so
3: <laughs> you're okay. gonna be
1: scared you're gonna be fearful you're gonna be amazed you're gonna be elated and expansive but you just gotta embrace the pain if you want things to be amazing and pain is not always bad of course and at times with the dissertation and getting my doctorate and editing this book it was painful but I'm hoping that with all of its imperfections and all of its knowledge and not my knowledge but really the knowledge of of the mommies that i got to interview i hope people will give the book a chance and i hope they buy it it's available on amazon you can just google back to the womb (laughs) so i hope you guys buy it and i hope you enjoy it and i hope it brings you to the rainbow bridge so you can honor it and love it and love your life and find a way to just constantly honor your own humanity and come back to your own womb.
0: Amazing. I love that. Is there anywhere you want people to be able to reach out to you at? An email or
1: such? Um, sure. So my website is Alexandra Kissitu. K-I-S-I-T-U. And you can also go there to buy the book. Um, and my email is there. And I also just got a P.O. box because I thought, you know what? Sometimes moms want to share their birth stories or write their birth stories. So I invite moms to write them and send them to me. I love reading birth stories, like that's my jam. So I totally invite anyone to do that or just send me an email um, and just stay connected to that beautiful birth energy.
2: That's great. They can find your PO box on your website. Yep. Awesome. Well, we will link your website into our show notes and we'll also put um, the link to the book and i definitely highly recommend that folks who are you know i feel like this could end up being on one of those like top 10 lists of like if you're looking for a good read while pregnant or if you're thinking about becoming pregnant i mean this is a really really great opportunity to sort of um and no matter where you choose to birth i mean just hearing really powerful stories is is that that story that medicine that that we all need so um yeah i'm just so excited um, that it has come to fruition you've birthed your book and now you are ready to release it to the world um it's so wonderful and it's so wonderful to connect with you and i'm so glad we had a little like impromptu henry moment too we love daddy So please give him our hugs and kisses and tell him we appreciate him and all that he has done to help support this book in being presented to the world too, because I know it's been some playground time and some extra dinner, clean up and all that I'll just to hold space for you to to create this so.
1: Oh, thank you. Thanks both of you. I love you guys so much. You guys are. You guys are amazing. I just you, you guys are like writing a book is nothing compared to what you guys do and hold that space and carry that and like the work that you do and the sleepless nights and the showing up for people even when you're tired and you have needs it's just I, I'm always in awe of the work that both of you do so thank you so much for what you do
0: <laughs> it sounds like you literally just described yourself though in motherhood too so it's like same same girl come on you know <laughs>
2: We're just all holding mirrors over here. We're all holding <laughs> mirrors.
0: <laughs> I'm very honored to be a piece in the same puzzle as you. Um, oh, you all nice. these very significant pieces and it's um, a beautiful puzzle. It truly is. So I will make sure to link all that information you shared uh, in the episode notes so people can find the website, the book, the you connect, um, and congratulations alex this is amazing
3: oh i love
1: you guys
0: (laughs) thank you I i hope you guys are all
1: doing i don't know if it's still recording but i just hope i know you guys gotta go and you're busy and all that but i just hope you're doing good and i miss you both and i can't wait to see your faces in real life hopefully sooner than later
0: (laughs) <laughs> hey, yeah i know you're ready for call. the war you just let us know when to pick you up at the airport
1: <laughs> i i just i'm not cut out for life in minnesota and i've said that for five years <laughs> i can't do it i've like i'm at the end of like my rope here in the midwest
0: <laughs> yeah the pick of the winter
2: adventures yeah well, we send our warm aloha
1: oh Thank you. All right. Well, kisses to wow. you your friends.
3: Love you guys.